Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. This morning's reading is from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And the grass withers and the flower fades. And we're good. All right. A couple things. We are going to do, uh, we're going to stand up and, and shake hand or give a fist bump to a couple people. Hold on. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, while we're doing that, we do have EGC today, correct? Okay, so uh, third, fourth, and fifth graders will uh, go uh, to the back to get catechized. But hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Everybody's like bolting already. Um, all right, uh, and uh, first and second graders will go to, to uh, elevate. And I have a special request. Every week, so we've, been, we've talked about memorizing the Apostles' Creed, and we've been doing this for two years now, and every week I'll have a kid come up to me and say, I've got the whole thing memorized, or I'll watch, I'll watch kids like look down as they're saying it or turn around uh, and memorizing it. And I haven't seen adults because you guys are better at masking those things. We're too insecure to do that. Um, that's, a whole, that's a whole other sermon series right there. Um, but here's what I need. At the end of the service... I need a volunteer who has the Apostles' Creed memorized to come up, and when we normally say the Apostles' Creed, I need a volunteer to come up and lead us as a church uh, in the saying of the Apostles' Creed. So during the welcome time, uh, we're just going to take a couple minutes. If you see somebody that looks unfamiliar, uh, or a stranger, or just somebody who looks strange, go up and greet them, say hello, I'm glad you're here. And then I am going to ask for a volunteer to come up and talk to me and say, hey, I would really like to do this. We're going to do this every week for a few weeks. So uh, if you've got it memorized and you want to do it, and you don't have to come alone, grab a friend, grab a person next to you, and come up and do it together. But I'm just going to, I'm going to take the first volunteer. So, uh, all right, do your thing. If you want to finalize those lunch plans, work your way back.
Yeah. EGC, if you want to make your way out, you can do that now. Elevate. All right. You guys do that so well, and I'm super proud of you, and uh, it's good. I like it. And you don't listen to me at all, and that's good, and I like that too. Uh, last week at the very end, because I forgot to do it at the very beginning, I, I brought two resources to your attention. I'll bring those to your attention again. You're welcome to take a picture. Uh, is Tracy in here? We need to, somebody remind me to remind Tracy, or just take the shortcut and remind Tracy. Uh, to, we'll put these on the app these resources. Two of them. One um, is uh, the Apostles' Creed for All God's Children. It's a fantastic resource for kids to go through the Apostles' Creed and then talk about what does each one of these things mean, which is what we've been doing in our sermon series. So that's this. It's a lot like the style of the Jesus Storybook Bible, uh, which means it's not necessarily just for kids. Uh, if you've ever read through the Jesus Storybook Bible and you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense now. Yeah. Um, no shame in that. I do the same thing. And then the other one uh, is uh, the Apostles' Creed, um, what Christians ought to believe. Get over that. Uh, and, um, and Michael Bird, he is Australian. There's a local pastor in St. Louis named Michael Bird who's a friend of mine. I always have to remind everybody it's not him. Uh, this guy is Australian, uh, and he is uh, he's just really good. There's some things in there that are challenging, helpful. Um, you may not read everything and go, I totally agree with that, and that's okay. And, and I don't think he would make you, but the, some of the essential points in there uh, are helpful. So with that, uh, we read through uh, Hebrews uh, verses 1 through 4, uh, and last week we talked about, I believe God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and we spent time with that, and this week we're moving forward, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We're going to take two weeks on this. All right? Because this is a lot. This is a lot. And you may or may not know this. Jesus is a pretty critical figure to our faith, as we will see this morning. Okay? Um, and last week we talked about how all of creation was this, uh, about this creation narrative, narrative of the God of Israel was both similar and yet completely different to the ancient creation narratives. Sometimes people will try to marginalize Christianity or, or the Judeo-Christian scriptures by saying, you know, well, you know, they stole all this stuff from other, other creation works. Yes, there are commonalities among various deities and among creation narratives. However, there are things that make this creation story completely different. And if we're going to focus on the, narrative, on, the, on the similarities to take our attention away from the differences, that's deceptive. The differences are huge. They're huge, and they say a lot. Um, and there were differences between the pagan gods and the God of Israel. In our day, we have, a, we have a thing in our day where we say, I believe in God. As if we all know what we're talking about. Or we say, I don't believe in God. What does that mean? Which God are we talking about? Who are we talking about? We've kind of lumped them all into to one. What do we mean when we say, um, 
when we, are, when we say, I believe or I don't believe in God. One of the things that we mentioned last week is one of the biggest issues facing the people of God has always been, through both the Hebrew Scriptures and in the New Testament, has been people, uh, people or a people who hold a Christian doctrine with a pagan narrative. All right, we covered that last week. But if we hold the truth of creation, but we hold it in a, in a manner of, like, of a pagan uh, uh, narrative. And that's one of the biggest dangers that we face. Uh, and you'd be amazed at how good our brains are at holding these, contra- these contradictions. We're just good. There the two shall meet. Um, so when we say, I believe in God, or someone says, I don't believe in God, what or who are we talking about? What is our default view? What do we mean when we say, I believe in God? Or, like, which God? Um, going back to the ancient world, most gods, most narratives in the ancient world, most gods didn't care if you knew them. What they cared about is, do you obey them? Do what I say, right? Sometimes, if you're, if you're a parent, right? Sometimes you get that same mojo. I, I don't care if you love me right now. Do what I told you to do. Clean your room. Um, most gods, well, all gods, didn't care if you knew them. Their concern was fierce loyalty. Do what I told you to do. But this God of Israel wanted more. Always, from the very beginning, wanted more than just follow the rules. The the Old Testament God is not a God that just says, follow the rules. It's a God that invites us to know him. That's what the commandments are. That's what the law is. That's what he is is doing. And I'm going to tell you right now, um, I I don't want this to feel like uh, information, like just lots of information this week, but it's going to kind of be lots of information this week. And, um, but I I, I think it's, I think it's amazing. (laughs) God wanted more than just follow the rules. God wanted to be loved. And God wants us to know that we are loved. And our temptation might be to, oh, love, okay, here we go with a weak blah, 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 blah. Read your Bible! Sorry. When I hear people say, oh, don't hit me with the love stuff, I'm like, when Jesus was asked to summarize all the law and the prophets, what did he say? Have good doctrine. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I'm a feeler. I get feely about that. And people are like, oh, feeler, you're weak. No, I'm feeler, I get angry. Okay, I'll calm down. Because you guys aren't doing that. It's, other, it's those people. All right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That means with all of your affections, your emotions, and what you feel. With all of your soul, which is your motivation, the very core, the essence of who you are, why you do and believe what you do and believe. And love the Lord your God with all your mind, what you think and know. And then love the Lord your God with all your strength, your actions and your behaviors. So God did not just give us a list of rules to follow as he sits up there and waits for us to fail. And so we hit this a few weeks ago. Darden talked about this. God gives his name in the fullest sense to Moses uh, in Exodus 34. When he initially introduces himself in the burning bush, he says, I am that I am. And then he expands on that because what does that tell us? 
God is ever-present. He's never-changing. Okay, but more than that, then in Exodus 34, he gives us his full name. The Lord passed before Moses. He's, he's giving him the Ten Commandments again because Moses broke the first two. Can you imagine? Uh, I can't imagine. But anyway, God's given him a second set of the tablets, and he passes before him, and he says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God reveals his name and he reveals what he is like. How do we know what God is like? He tells us. He reveals it, what he's like. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. But there are consequences to disobedience. There are consequences to sin and doing what we want and rebellion. And when God's, and this is what's great news, right? Um, my wife used to be a teacher in seventh grade. God bless her. And uh, she's not anymore. Um, but, and, and initially there was another teacher that, she just had fun every day. And all the kids initially loved that teacher. And Allison was like, we're doing rules. We're following the rules. Halfway through the semester, the kids started getting totally drained at the other teacher because it was just worksheet after worksheet. They didn't know what to expect. Every day was different and whatever. But my wonderful wife, consistent. You know what to expect from generation to generation to generation. There's, there's, these aren't changing. And so they begin to thrive within the rules, within authority. They began to thrive. They knew what was coming. They knew what they could do and couldn't do. They weren't subject to her just like if she was in a bad mood that day or a good mood that day. There were things that we knew. God is faithful from generation to generation. He is consistent. Other gods the laws were kind of based on who the emperor was or who the pharaoh was. And so they changed from generation to generation. But not this God. He was consistent. You knew what you were getting. He made himself known. So we're going to learn more about God as he interacts in, with and through his people in the ancient world. So we're going to jump into the scripture. First, Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, starts off and says this, Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Um, the story of God coming to know his people and the story of God's people coming to know their God really begins with the Exodus. It begins in the book of Exodus. God hears the cries of his people and comes down. They had, been, they had been enslaved for 40 years, 400 years, forgot a zero, enslaved for 400 years. He hears the cries of his people and he comes down and he reveals himself to Moses in a burning bush and he reveals himself to his people through a, through a cloud by day and a fire by night and he leads them because they haven't known and he reveals himself to, their, to his people by saying, here's an Egyptian God and here's how I am more powerful than this Egyptian God. Here's another Egyptian God and through this plague, here, here's how I'm more powerful than this Egyptian God. And so they don't know what to trust and so God is faithful by revealing self, himself. I am more powerful than all the Egyptian God uh, gods, even the bright and morning star, the Pharaoh himself. And then he leads them out. And then he gives instructions to build a tabernacle. A tabernacle was a place, while they were mobile, uh, they could build this tent. They would arrange all of their tents so that everybody could see the tabernacle. 
and the presence of God would dwell in the midst of the tabernacle. God hears their cries, he comes down and he dwells with them. And then he gives instructions to how to build the temple. Any temple is the house of a god or a king. This is where God dwelled in permanence. He gives them a land and a place to be and a place to exist and eventually makes them a nation. And as the temple, he dwells in the midst of his people. God is making himself known. And as people gain cultural and social power and prominence, God visits through the prophets in dreams and visions, and the prophets remind them, the land is not your reward. God is your reward. Don't value the land more than you value God. Don't value the, the hand of God more than you value God himself. Solomon becomes king. They, they have warnings all throughout Deuteronomy. Be careful when you have a king because you're going to want a king, so be careful when you do that. Solomon becomes king, third king in Jerusalem, uh, third king in, in Israel, and he commits to build God's people, to build God's temple. And to do that, he enslaves his own people. Remember to be kind to the sojourner as you were once sojourners in the land of Egypt, and they forget. And they enslave their own people to build the temple. And they gather lots of wealth with the temple. And Solomon then spends seven years on the house of the Lord, and then 14 years on his own house. The poor are oppressed and enslaved. Treaties are made with other nations and other gods. Wealth accumulates for the king, which is always dangerous. And the people and the people of God begin to live and look an awful lot like the worshipers of the lesser gods in the land. God speaks through his prophets to bring warning after warning. And listen, I, this might seem lengthy. I'm going to try to not keep it lengthy. But this, when, when this started getting put together for me, it made such a huge difference, this whole grand story of what is taking place. So I hope it's helpful, all right? Um, Essentially, God's voice uh, to and through the prophets is this. Your success has made you wicked. Every other God was like wanting to be powerful. God says, in your success, you have forgotten me. Deuteronomy, be careful that you come to a land and drink from cisterns that you didn't dig and houses that you didn't build and you enjoy from vineyards that you didn't plant. Take care lest you forget the Lord. And guess what they did? They forgot the Lord. Your personal righteousness and your corporate injustice look like, the lesser, look like every other nation. You're not loving me, nor are you loving your neighbor. You are loving yourselves. But oh, that you would turn, as we read earlier, the, uh, Isaiah says this on behalf of the Lord. Come to me, and though your sins are like scarlet, let me wash you and make you white as snow. Return and trust me. Feed off the goodness of the land that I provide. But if you continue to rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. The same thing that you are using to devour others will devour you. Eventually, a ruler arises in Babylon. Uh, Babylon, the name is those who are opposed to God, whose faces are turned away from God. 
a ruler named Nebuchadnezzar. God says to his people, trust me. Trust me. I will protect you from Nebuchadnezzar. But they don't. They make a political alliance with Egypt. And what we, what's revealed is Nebuchadnezzar was going to be like, okay, this is Israel. We're not going to worry about them. Oh, wait. They made an alliance with Egypt. And that's when Nebuchadnezzar gets concerned. And the very political alliance that they made that they thought would save them is what destroyed them. All of Jerusalem and the temple is ransacked. The prophets continue to speak to God's people during their captivity in Babylon when their hearts are humbled and God speaks to them with words of peace and comfort. Jeremiah writes to the people, famous passage, when they are in exile, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you. He writes this to them when they are humbled, not when they are in power. And then post-exile, the prophets bring God's word of comfort to his people. The whole time this is happening, God's desire is to be close to his people, for his people to hear him and trust him and know him, that they would have no other gods before him, meaning every aspect of their life, personal and corporate, is in line with the way God designed the world to be. Affections, behavior, the way we tell the truth about God and about ourselves and about others, the ways we deal with shame, the way we love and value and honor our neighbors, even those who are outsiders, especially people in vulnerable positions, the outcast, the foreigner, the poor, the sick, the widow, the way we use our money and steward it for good and not just for selfish pleasure, the way we see people as valuable, not for what they offer us, but because they are made in the image of God. All people, remember last week, are made in the image of God. The law was given by God as a covenant and Israel failed over and over to love God with all their hearts, souls, mind, and strength and to love their neighbors on themselves. So, God, who had already come down, who had dwelled among his people, who then resided in the temple in the presence of his people and then the, the temple was uh, destroyed, but God did not turn away from his people. He would now come in person. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God himself, enters time and space. And I want to tell you something. We'll get, we'll get, we'll get to the uh, substitutionary atonement, probably in a couple weeks, all right? Which is big. It's big. But there is so much here in the incarnation of what takes place. Like, it's awesome. It, it's incredible. There's so much of what takes place in the incarnation when God himself comes down. So let's get back to the text. And I'll, I'll try to calm down a little bit. Verse 2. In these last days, so he's spoken to us through the prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also created the world. Um, we're going to look at the nature of Jesus this week. Next week, we'll look at the life of Jesus. There is so much at work here. So much at work here. The story doesn't just start here. The story has already begun. In fact, most people, it, to study the whole of Scripture, this is sometimes, like, this might be the conclusion and the appendix of what has taken place in the story of Israel. It is the completion. Jesus is the full revelation of God in a form that we get. In our form. In a language that we can speak. He is a multimedia presentation of what it is for God, like in a way that we can understand, in, in human form. You want to know what God is like? 
When we say, I believe in God, you want to know what God is like? This is what God is like. Here's a human form of what God is like. Um, and let's, we won't just say this, we'll get some verses behind it. Uh, in fact, we will get some creeds that are in Scripture about the person of Jesus behind who he is. Let's start. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. We're talking about Jesus. He is before all things. Uh, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's one creed. Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, beginning of creed, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 1 John 1-4, through 4, which we read earlier this year, last year, whenever we read it. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We've seen it. We testify to it. Proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Jesus is God's communication with us in a time and place and to a people and through a culture in a way that we can understand. How do we comprehend the beautiful, powerful, almighty mysteries of God? He has come to us. He is a human Fully immersive, multimedia presentation of God himself. And this is crazy. I, I keep saying this. If this doesn't sound bizarre to you, it should. This is not the way things are done. God is, gods are powerful and mighty and do what they will. They don't condescend. They don't put themselves in the most vulnerable position except this one. And to many, it's offensive. And what we say when we say the creed, we believe this. We believe that God became human. And we believe that, that when God became man, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, so he's not from man, he is from God, but fully man, third person of the Trinity, which we'll, we'll get to, uh, that's later on. File that away. God making himself known to us and in making himself knowable for us became one of us. The nature of Jesus, that he's both fully God and fully man, and if you ask me to explain that to you, I will tell you I don't know. 
I am so impressed and so amazed with all the people I follow on Twitter that know exactly how this works. Who, as you guys know, they're also phenomenal epidemiologists. They know world policy. They've got it down. Facebook has nothing on Twitter. Let me tell you that. Facebook people don't know. Twitter people know. Sorry. Um, it's, a, it's, an, it's a phenomenal mystery. And so you may ask, well, then how are we supposed to know? If, we can't, if, we can't, if you can't explain this scientifically, how, how do we know that Jesus was fully God and fully man? And here's what's interesting. A lot of this came from what we see in Scripture, what we know about the nature of Jesus, and then it was kind of a process of elimination. Someone would say, well, I think Jesus became man. I think he was born a human, and then he became a God. Sorry. He was born a human, became a God. Well, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin, so he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Um, and we see divinity in his life. John tells us he's from the beginning. Uh, Paul tells us that he was from the beginning and descended and made himself nothing. Uh, so it, it can't be that. Someone would say, well, uh, then, then he's fully human. He, he, this is a mistake for us to assert that Jesus was God. He was a good teacher and taught us how to live. Okay, well, he claimed to be able to forgive sins. Even the Pharisees knew what he was doing when he did that. He was claiming to be God. He invited people to worship him. Here again, Paul, John, all these writers write as if he was God himself. So that doesn't fit. Well, then he was fully God. He never came to be actual man. He was never actually human. He just came down as God and, and didn't really do this. And one pastor I love said this, there was not an ascension every night after dinner. He, he came down and lived in the neighborhood. So we got problems there. If he was fully God, uh, he wept. Um, he experienced full emotions. Uh, he was tempted. In fact, one of my favorite verses uh, in Scripture is he fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. And you, you hear what, do you remember what it says after that? He was hungry. Yes. Uh, he was fully human. When he got cut, he bled. And in fact, when they shoved the sword into his side, he died. God and fully human. So all of this helps shape when we're like, well, is he this? Uh, it doesn't fit. Was he this? Uh, that doesn't fit. He's fully God and fully man. There's no other way to explain it. But rather than like dealing with the arguments of this, I want to present just a couple of uh, amazing aspects that are fulfilled in the nature of Jesus. First, born of the Virgin Mary. Now, let me um, say, born of the Virgin Mary. Okay, now, with that part, I get it. It's good. That's, that might be hard to like wrap your mind around. Um, we believe that he rose from the grave uh, after being brutally killed. So, if your faith is there, we can simply apply that. But we should also, we should think about that and what that implies. Um, it's miraculous. It fulfills the prophecy in Isaiah 7.14 that a virgin will conceive and give birth. Uh, this brings out the godhood of Jesus. He was not conceived by man, but he was conceived by God. Um, but I also want to talk a little bit, so that's a little bit on the, um, the Virgin Mary, the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit was worth, with Jesus through his whole ministry. Uh, Jesus was divine in his birth. He's preexistent. Uh, God is ushering in this new kingdom 
the second Adam who would not give in to sin and temptation, rather defeat sin and temptation. And again, we'll, again, we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, I'll, let me also say a couple things about the Virgin Mary. All right? Do you pick up on the, how I'm emphasizing different things? Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about Mary. Mary was, uh, one, this fulfills God's promise from Genesis 3.15. Before any children are, are um, uh, that we see any children in Scripture, after the fall, God promises an offspring that will come and defeat the serpent. When he raises up Israel, he promises Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he will protect this seed, this lineage. When he tells Jacob that he will establish a nation from his children and then a throne from David's kingdom, and there will come, a, there will come one who will sit on David's throne forever and ever, and of his reign there will be no end. Mary was an Israelite. The seed of the offspring came from Israel. The entire Hebrew scripture then comes to life telling the story about God, how God protected and preserved this holy lineage from which would come Jesus. Luke and Matthew tell us the lineage of Joseph. And, and you, what you need to know about uh, the Jews in this day, they were very, very, very meticulous record keepers of both biological and leveret uh, genealogies. Those are different. We'll explain those another time. Mary was also pretty insignificant from human terms. There was nothing about her. She was young. She was very young. That was normal. It was cultural. We need to be careful. I'm glad that culture has changed uh, and that that is not the norm anymore, but it was the norm back then. And so we can't, we've got to be careful when we impose our cultural beliefs uh, in the past um, without understanding them. Uh, but there was nothing much about her. She was, her, she had a relative that was a priest, a relative that was a Levite, um, but for herself, there's not, much. She's from Nazareth, right? It was like Festus. There's not much there. We can do that, right? We're up here. St. Charles folk can look down on somebody. Um, in fact, Nathaniel, when he's approached by Philip, makes fun of Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was a shot. Um, there's no, nothing significant about Mary in and of herself from a human perspective. Um, and yet, in Luke 1, Mary is highlighted, this insignificant woman who finds, upon the revelation that she finds out, she will be carrying the child of God, the Most High, the Messiah, the promised one to come, has one of the most profound prayers ever recorded. And this is a big deal for a woman especially a woman who would be in a very um, uh, troubling position as, as pregnant out of wedlock. Luke records her prayer. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He's looked upon the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. I'm finding it hard-pressed that I would respond that way. At this kind of news. Let's get back to the text from Hebrews. This is now who God is speaking to us through, is this son. Uh, 
at the end of verse 2, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus is from the beginning, the wisdom by which the world was created. So he was God. In, in, in Proverbs 3, we see that by wisdom, God created the world. And Jesus, wisdom, was at his side like a master workman. Colossians chapter 1 that we read earlier, it was by whom, for whom, and through whom all things were created. Jesus is the master artist and the way that God designed the world to be. Jesus is the one that holds the world together. John called this logos or logic. We use similar things, these cultural truths that we have that we say, this is right because we all know. This was a Greek belief. Logic is this impersonal force that holds the world together. And the more you operate by this impersonal logic force, the better your life will be. And what we see is this impersonal force is actually a personal force. It is wisdom. It is Jesus himself by which all of the world holds together. Um, he is all the Ten Commandments summed up into one person. He is the law and he upholds the law completely as a human. John calls him again in 1 John 2, our perfect advocate. He loves the Father completely with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he loves his neighbors completely as himself. Unless we think that that gets him in good with all of his neighbors, it doesn't. If you follow the story, things don't turn out too great in his earthly life, especially when he comes across people in power. He is Israel's representative. All that God's people failed to do in their end of the covenant, Jesus does on their behalf. He did what God's people could not do. He is the second Adam, as Paul refers to him, that a new creation and kingdom were being, uh, were being and have been ushered in. It is the beginning of all day of, of, of what will one day fully be. So last week we talked about how the Genesis narrative operates like the building of a temple in the way that the structure was built and that uh, the seventh day when God sits down and rests, what that is, a temple is built for a god or a king and then for the king to sit down and rest means that he sits down and begins his governance, his rule and reign over all things. And so what Hebrews tells us, what it tells us again in chapter 10 that we read earlier this morning, is that when Jesus has made atonement for our sins, when he has dealt with that, he sits down and enters his rest. In other words... He does the exact same thing that God does in the first creation. Jesus does in the new creation. He sits down to begin his reign and rule. And of his reign, there will be no end. And it's not a reign of tyranny. It's not a reign of political means. It's not a reign threatened ever by human agencies. But we should also know that those who speak in the name of Jesus, there is a warning when we do this on behalf of Jesus. When we speak in a human agency. Um, I'm going to chase this for just a second. Matthew 25 is a very interesting chapter in the Bible. It's right before Jesus begins his trial. It's the end of his teaching. And there's, there's the parable of the, of the ten virgins. And in the middle, there's the parable of the talents, which has nothing to do with how to invest your money. It has to do with God gives the kingdom of God in certain measures to people. And those who give it generously, 
who sow the kingdom of God generously, there is return and reward. But there's one servant, if you remember, who gets the kingdom of God and hoards it and protects it as if to say, I am the gatekeeper and I get to determine who gets in and who doesn't. And when, when the master returns, he says, you don't know who your master is. And there's a stern warning And then that's followed by Jesus looking at a group of people on his left and a group of people on his right in reigning in all of judgment. And God says, and and he says uh, to the people on his right, you'll get, I don't know which one is which, but he says to the people on one side, uh, you, um, be on the right, uh, when you saw me uh, hungry, when you saw me naked, when you saw me thirsty, when you saw me in prison, you visited me, you clothed me. You fed me. And they're like, Jesus, when did we do that? And he said, what you've done to the least of these, you've done to my brothers. Enter, uh, you've done to me. Enter into your rest. And then on, the, on those on the other side, when you saw me naked and, clo- and unclothed and thirsty and in prison, you ignored me and walked away. And they're like, when did we do that? And he said, what you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. Enter into your eternal separation. That's Genesis 25. And then Jesus is hauled off, taken to trial, and then crucified. Um, This is a kingdom that will always resist the proud, but give grace to the humble. Jesus is the full revelation of who God is. When we try to describe God, we should describe Jesus. When we think about, I believe in God, we should think about, I believe in Jesus. I have, we, we have some dear friends of ours. Um, a few years ago, they sat at our table and they told us through tears um, that they had stopped believing in God. It was a long process. They walked through the whole thing with us. Uh, they went through details on how it began. Uh, they had rewritten how they met each other. Uh, providence became coincidence. Um, and they essentially went through every part of their lives. They went through their marriage and how they met and they're two beautiful adopted children, and they took what once had been a divinely orchestrated, prayerfully clarified call of God in their life had become coincidental in pure human will. Um, They kind of preemptively told us about all the people that had tried to argue them back into the kingdom. My parents... All of our friends, they've all tried to, but, but we're pretty settled on this. Um, so it wasn't necessarily an invite to that discussion. And, and shoot, there are issues with Christianity, a lot of their issues with Christianity, I just flat out agreed with. Um, and eventually, as they sat there at our table and we wept, and they were staying with us overnight, so it's not like we could just like, Uh, I asked two questions. The first one, I said, listen, I get all of your complaints and all of your questions I've asked. I still believe this. The resurrection of Jesus, like, I historically, I can't get, I can't get past that. I still believe this. I said, what, what do you think about me? Do you think I'm a fool? 
And they were like, no, 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 we, we love you guys, and we, you know. And I said, okay. And then the second part was, what about, what about Jesus? And listen, his response was telling. Um, he had been in this process of undoing his faith for several years, and he told me kind of the origins of that. And this has been four or five years ago. But he said, I'm not ready to deal with that part yet. I'm not ready to deal with, with Jesus and, and that whole thing yet. Jesus exemplified what we should be, how we should live, who and how we should love. My friend stopped believing in God because of, experience of his experience of Christianity. Uh, it was an experience that didn't look very Christ-like. Listen, um, I have hope that his not dealing with Jesus yet is, is maybe a seed that is still buried under the ground that one day God will continue to water and give new life to. It hasn't happened yet to both of them um, and, and their kids. Um, and I trust the Holy Spirit to, to do that. Uh, and and I, I really, really hope uh, that their faith is not dead um, uh, but they had separated a view of God from a view of Jesus. And what they had experienced was, was different. And listen, as both individuals and as part of the church, I, I want you to hear me on this because I get, I get flack for this all the time. We do not sacrifice the kingdom of God on the altar of being accepted by others, okay? We don't. We don't say, well, we're, we're, gonna, we're just not gonna hold these things because people get offended by them. We don't do that. At the same time, um, we don't sacrifice compassion and mercy, the very fruit of the Spirit, on the altar of trying to be right. Neither of these things, most of those things are driven by insecurity. They are not driven by the Holy Spirit. And so I grieved hard. I had lots of things I wanted to say, uh, but I didn't know if they would be helpful. And I wanted them to know that I still love them. Um, and we've lost the greatest thing that we have in common. Uh, we still talk in Jesus' terms with them. We still credit things to Jesus. We still think that our marriage was divinely orchestrated. I think it is. I, I have no other way to explain it. Um, I'm hopeful that there's still a seed growing. Here's my main point. All of this rambling, all this trying to pile on, here's my main point, which we could have gotten to a while ago. The God that we worship has been completely made known through the person and work of Jesus. This is the God that made himself known in Jesus. He did not stay distant. He did not stay apart from us. He didn't stay up there indifferent. He entered into our time and life and suffering. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to both worship and emulate Jesus. To worship him as the Savior and to follow him as our glorious example. Resisting the proud, giving grace to the humble. 
Jesus is not a fairy godmother who forgave us so we can just do whatever we want. And yet Jesus showed mercy and compassion in ways that got him in a lot of trouble and eventually got him put to death. Now, if you were to ask me, well, how do we do this precisely in our culture right now? How do we do this in this radical radical individualism? How do we do this in the alt-right and the totally overwoke left? And how do, we, how do we do this A plus B equals C? Short of me telling you to follow my, some of my friends on Twitter, let me tell you this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have it all down. I'm still wrestling this out. I still hug when I probably should give a kick in the pants, and I kick in the pants when I should probably give a hug. So I don't know. At some point, I have to trust the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, I had a chance to eat lunch with a guy on Friday that I greatly respect. I'll just tell you who he is. Esau Macaulay. And it wasn't just like the two of us having lunch. It was a group of pastors, and he was there talking to us. There was 10 or 15 guys. He wrote Reading While Black, which I will commend, 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 commend. Read that book. All right. Uh, my respect for him on Friday went through the roof. He gave some really helpful categories. There are people, and you may... It, it, there are people that you might agree with their theology, but they have no nuance. They don't care who they trample. They don't care. They don't, bring, they don't bring compassion and mercy into anything they say. They just say the hard truth, and it's not my job to worry about it. That's your problem. And they just bring it, and you're like, oh, I wish we didn't believe the same things. Jesus actually spoke pretty harsh to those type of people. Those are the proud and the religious who, who's, uh, festivals and feasts look great, but their hearts are far from God. Don't be them, and I would also encourage you not to argue with them. On the other side, there are people who, for one reason or another, their hearts are so turned against God, they don't care, they will watch the world burn and hold on to the rubble. They're not out to learn, or heal, or gain relationship, they just want to see the world burn. Jesus also had encounters with people like this. And he did not become the former guy to deal with the latter guy. More often than not, he just asked questions that gave them their own answers. And then there's a whole swath of, of us that just, it's just indifference, both in and out of the church. But to the humble... To the outsider, the woman caught in adultery, the unclean leper, the beggar, the one higher on the social ladder, ladder the Roman centurion who, whose servant had died, the one lower on the social ladder, the Syrophoenician woman, to the tax collectors who expected to be completely rejected by Jesus, to the masses, he gave his time and his attention and his compassion and he listened to them and he gave healing. And listen, to the, heal, the people that he healed, there's not really evidence that we know of did they totally follow him with their whole lives. In fact, one example, we have nine of ten lepers who take their healing and run. It wasn't like this is it and, and they all started following him. He still gave his healing. This is how Jesus interacted with people. And we'll get to this, but this is how Paul then tried to shape the church to look like God as revealed in Jesus. So this week, this is your assignment. I want one question to mull around your mind. As we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. 
do you see a distinction both internally in your life and then around you in, in, in the culture, whether it's Christian culture uh, or, or whatever it might be, do you see a distinction between what it is to be Christian and what it is to be Christ-like? And I'll tell you, be careful with that question. Um, this is not a call for you to become filled with shame. Ah, oh, I'm terrible. I can't do it. Yeah, throw yourself at the mercy of Jesus. That's the whole point. So don't be overwhelmed with shame. Let him bear it for you. But this is also not a call for, you, for us to become judgmental, which I wrestle with, to become precisely what this is trying to war against. Ask Jesus, have I, have we claimed something that bears your name but doesn't look like you? We won't do this perfectly. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us move toward holiness in our affections in our thoughts, in our behaviors, in our motives, and to move toward grace and mercy and kindness and all the fruits of the Spirit in our love for one another and our love for the world around us. So the church that bears the name of Jesus looks like Jesus. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for mercy and grace. Thank you that you did not remain unknown. You have made yourself known in the person of Jesus. Help us to rethink those things. If we think of God in this kind of anonymous, just empty void, you didn't, you, that's the whole point. You did not remain undefined. You made yourself known. That's what makes you glorious. That's what makes you different. You came after us and you made yourself fully known in the person and work of Jesus. Change our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our affections uh, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.